coyote's vocalizations at night can be haunting to some, but to others, like myself, it's part of nature's wonderful soundtrack. To me, this sound lets me know that coyotes are nearby, and I know that these are superb animals to photograph. So to me, it's inspiring. Let's find out all we can on coyotes so we can take better photographs of them. Now, before we go any further, this animal's name can be pronounced either coyote, the three-syllable version, or it can be pronounced the two-syllable version, coyote. Some people even like to shorten it to be yotes, as in, I was out all day looking for some yotes. So since this is a regional pronunciation thing, I may switch it up as we go. So I apologize up front if I'm not saying it the way you're used to hearing it. First, the coyote is from the Canidae family, which is the canine family, which includes wolves, foxes, and our own best friend, the domestic dog. These are carnivorous animals that feed mainly on rodents, rabbits, reptiles, amphibians, and occasionally fruit. Sometimes they'll dine on something even as large as a deer. The evening vocalizations that we can sometimes hear out in the wild are usually generated by lone coyotes. Since this animal is socially family oriented, these individuals are looking for mates or letting others know that this is their territory. Otherwise, a coyote can be found in a pack with a mated pair leading the way. This mated pair seldom parts ways and are usually together in kind of a death do us part sort of deal. These animals can be found all over North America, and increasingly, the coyote, rather than being pushed away when humans move into its territory, it's adapting to the urban landscape. While coyotes have been known to cross paths with humans, they prefer open wooded areas where they can hide from humans. This is their number one predator, humans. If you're driving in your car and you see a coyote trotting in the woods, you might be cursing yourself for not having your camera ready. The way the light can highlight their fur coats can be stunning. However, not everyone likes this animal. You'll find outdoorsmen, hunters, and farmers all in the same camp that these animals need to be killed on site. Hunters can't stand them because they might scare off a deer that was in their sights. Or the coyote is the guiltiest for eating pheasant eggs or hens or other game birds. Ranch owners will tell you all kinds of stories of how a single coyote can decimate their sheep herd. Coyotes get blamed for all kinds of natural mayhem. Some of which is probably true, but we do need to learn ways to coexist with this animal. The industry of hunting the coyote is huge with sportsman shops like Bass Pro Shops boasting dozens of different products devoted to just hunting coyotes. From specialized calls to camouflage clothing to decoys to coyote scent concealers. The fact that coyotes are hunted so aggressively by humans 
these animals have learned to be clever and rely on all of their senses in order to stay alive. Let's take the senses one at a time. First, the sense of smell. The coyote has an amazing sense of smell. After all, they use their noses for hunting as well as for sensing danger, and they do this all day long. Some hunters go to great lengths to hide their own human smell, taking showers with scent-eliminating soaps, washing their clothes in special detergent, keeping their hunting clothes in a special scent-free bag, and even getting dressed outside their car so as not to drag the smells of their car into the field. They also buy coyote urine, spray it on themselves, on their surroundings, their gear, all in the hopes of not being discovered. However, the most important thing you can do when out photographing coyotes is to remain downwind from your subject. That means once you're in the right location and the light is right, choose to be where the wind is in your face. That way the coyote can't smell you as easily as if the wind was coming across you and blowing your scent right to them. This in itself can be a challenge, but it's the simplest thing you can do when it comes to this type of photography. Stay downwind. Next up is the sense of sight. Do you really need to be covered in camo clothing to photograph coyotes? Not really, but it depends. If you can use something to break up your face and eyes, sunglasses under a hat or a loose fitting face mask, this should do the trick. When it comes to clothing, just wear something drab and not patterned. Think uh, khaki pants and an olive green shirt rather than blue jeans and a red plaid shirt. Keep in mind you may be out in the field for a long time, so dress for weather and the temperature first. The big thing to keep in mind is movement. You need to be absolutely still. If you do need to make movements, move super slow. It's this movement that will give you away, not what you're wearing. Lastly, we come to sound. If you look at the face of a coyote, you can see his ears pointing up and out. These are shaped in such a way that they can grab sounds from very far away. They're like little parabolic microphones gathering in sounds from all over. To illustrate their hearing, most of us have seen clips of coyotes leaping in the air off a bed of snow and slamming their face deep into the snow to capture some unsuspecting rodent. That behavior is from coyotes hearing a little mouse moving around in the snow deep below where they stood. Not only did they hear the mouse, their hearing is so good they can track the prey's movement under the snow. That way they know exactly where to bury their face and make a kill. There are countless stories that hunters will tell you about coyotes hearing something as soft as the safety of a gun being clicked off at 100 yards away. That's the type of thing that can scare them off. Excellent hearing is a big asset for the coyote. However, it's a tool that we as photographers can use to get fantastic photographs of the coyote. More on that after the break. 
As a professional photographer, there's one tool that I use just about every day. And no, it's not my camera. It's my computer. More specifically, Adobe Lightroom. I've been using Lightroom from the very beginning since it was introduced back in 2007. I've taught many photographers how to use Lightroom in my hands-on classes, as well as through online training. I feel this program is the best available for organizing my photographs so I can find a certain image among thousands that I've shot over the years. I especially like it for processing my raw photographic files. While many of my final images get some sort of treatment in Photoshop, all of my images are processed through Adobe Lightroom. All of them. My goal is to do as much image processing as I can in Lightroom first. This makes my workflow go so much faster. One of the things that makes my workflow faster are the preset brushes. I've created several myself that are built specifically for wildlife and nature photography. These brushes are easy to load, easy to use, and make developing your images faster and more creative. For listeners of this podcast, I'm offering a special collection of nature photography Lightroom preset brushes. You can use these to improve your wildlife photography and your landscape work. When you download my Lightroom brushes, you will get exclusive access to instructional videos to learn how each and every brush works and when to use them. Find out more by visiting my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. Click on the podcast page and you can order them right there. When it comes to photographing coyotes, there are a few things that we can successfully do that will help us get some great shots of these magnificent animals. First and foremost is finding them. If you have heard the coyote howl in your area, then you know they're around. But let's say you hit out some open spaces and try to get photographs of them in a less urban surroundings. The things to look for are scat and tracks. For scat, coyotes will deposit a rope-like material that's filled with bones and hair. These are about the same size as a good-sized neighborhood dog will leave on your front lawn. But the materials inside are quite different. And that is obviously due to diet. While our dogs feast on mostly store-bought dog food, the coyote's diet is vast and it includes rodents, rabbits, and other small animals. So if the scat you're looking for is full of hair and bones, very likely a coyote has been through there. Next are the tracks to look for. While this can be more difficult since the domestic dog has a similar paw print, the telltale sign is the gate. While a dog of about the same size as a full-grown coyote, about 40 pounds, the stride will normally be different. Likely a dog will make a footprint every 16 to 25 inches. The coyote, however, will make a track every 28 to 48 inches. Also, the domestic dog will make tracks in kind of a zigzag pattern, where a coyote will travel in a straight line whenever the terrain will allow. The best way to photograph the elusive coyote is to use its amazing hearing to your advantage and call them right to you. Back to a place like Bass Pro Shops, you can find several different calls that you can use. If you're ambitious and don't want to spend too much money, there are these manual hand calls that you can use your own lungs and mouth to produce the appropriate sounds. 
the first of which are called diaphragm calls. With these items that are about the size of a half of a half dollar coin, you place them in your mouth and blow against the small latex flapper and change the pitch and rhythm with your own voice. These can make a variety of calls to attract coyotes to where you're set up. The sounds you can make can be from everything from pups yelping to females in heat to young coyotes announcing that this is their territory. Some diaphragms can make multiple sounds, but in many cases you'll need two or three different diaphragms to choose from. The manual hand calls have a couple of downsides though. First, there's a learning curve to using them. They take some practice to get the sounds right. You also may need an amplifier tube to get a little more volume of sound. One problem that these tools present are that as you're sitting there calling in coyotes, you're not ready to take photographs. Coyotes can come running pretty fast, so dropping your call and getting your face down behind the camera to photograph is a movement that can be seen from quite a ways away for the cautious coyote. So this is best done with the buddy system, where one person does the calling while the other does the photographing. Next up are the reed collars. These are built with a mouthpiece so that you kind of bite down and blow into it, kind of like you would a clarinet, only producing music that just uh, only a coyote would love. There's a whole range of these devices in the category, and you can even go online and learn how to make some of these reed collars yourself in your homemade shop. Lastly, on the topic of calling coyotes, there are electronic collars. These are pretty fancy devices. Essentially, the best electronic callers have a handheld remote and a separate set of remote speakers. This allows you to place the speakers in a bush and call your coyotes to that location. This makes the animal check out the spot where your speakers are as opposed to where you are. These systems can output quite a high volume of sound to help in calling coyotes in the wind or if you need to reach out and bring your subject in from far away. Also, with two speakers, you can move the call from the left speaker to the right to simulate that the sound is kind of moving, kind of like it would be out there in the wild. The best part about this device is not that they have just a few coyote calls, but they offer hundreds of calls. Not only have they have calls to make coyotes come running, but you also have included in the unit calls for gray fox, red fox, mountain lions, elk, and even moose. The most sophisticated units come with sounds of wounded animals, like the sound of a jackrabbit makes when he's injured. or a cottontail in distress, and many, many others. All of these sounds make these digital calls quite versatile for calling in many different animals. All of this versatility is a good thing, and possibly a bad thing. When you start using predator calls, 
and select from the large variety of wounded animals, you might get something attracted that you didn't expect. Keep in mind that when you're calling predators, you can't be certain they will be coming from where you would expect them to be. Possibly, they may come up from behind you, so be ready. A good friend of mine told me an interesting story about one of his calling adventures. One early morning, he was set up near the top of a canyon with his coyote call working the valley just below him. For this instance, he was using a rabbit in distress sound, hoping to get some shots of a coyote coming up the canyon. After a while and no coyotes in sight, he had this weird tingly feeling of being watched. We've all experienced something like this feeling before, so he slowly turned around to check his surroundings. There, on the ledge right behind him, was a full-grown bobcat. The cat was casually watching him. Obviously, it was brought in by the sound of the possible free meal. After a short stare-off, the bobcat sauntered away. After that, my photographer friend now had a new location to call in a different subject for his camera. Now that you have an understanding of the crafty coyote and how to stalk and lure them closer to you for some great photography, you need to know how to photograph these animals. First, let's talk about the best times to go photograph coyotes. For the animal to look his best, fall, winter, and early spring are good times since the coyote will be well-dressed for your photographs. In the fall, coyotes start getting their winter coats, and most of them have filled out, storing up fat for the leaner winter months. That makes fall and winter the best times to photograph the coyote, when they're looking their best. Also, keep in mind that in January and February is the time of year that coyotes mate. So there are more calls that will attract them to your spot to photograph them during these months of the year. Phew, that's about all you can stand about learning of coyotes. So, so let's get into the actual photography part of making sure your photographs come out the best that they can. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely into photography. Coincidentally, so am I. I'm Terry Vanderheiden, full-time professional photographer. Not only do I create photographs for a living, I do photography just for fun. In my spare time, I also teach photography classes and workshops. If you'd like to find out more about what I offer, check out my website at imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You can also find some videos I've created over on YouTube. Just search for Terry Vanderheiden or search for uh, how to use a monopod and you can find me that way. Feel free to email me if you have any questions on the topics I cover in this podcast or suggestions on how I can improve it. If you like this podcast, please give it a star rating and maybe even a quick review so others can find it easier. It would be great if you could share this podcast with other friends who might have an interest in photography. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks again for listening.
let's go over equipment to make sure you have everything you need to make quality captures. As far as cameras go, you likely have made that decision as to which brand you use. But if not, here's a little food for thought. While I use traditional DSLR equipment, Nikon in fact, there's a good case for high-end mirrorless cameras for photographing coyotes. Here's why. If you remember earlier when we talked about the amazing hearing capabilities of the coyote, the sound of the snapping shutter may not be your friend. Just the simple sound of the shutter firing will likely scare off a coyote, where a mirrorless camera can give you completely silent captures, thereby possibly getting more shots per visit. So this is something to consider. While on that subject of sound that you and your camera may make, this is a point you need to consider when to start shooting. So let's say you've spent the morning setting up and you found a good spot. You set up your camera and your calling system and you're sitting out there in the cold and here comes your first subject. The sound and the movement you make moving your hand to take the photograph or the aforementioned click of the shutter, you may only get a few shots off before your coyote is gone. Before you snap the shutter, be sure your focus is right on. Know your exposure is right, and most of all, you are satisfied with how close this wild animal is, since when you start firing, you can be pretty certain that only get off a few shots and then the coyote will turn tail and be gone. This is kind of a game of greed in a way. You want him to get closer, but at some point he's going to figure out that the call is bogus and he'll disappear anyway. So you might fall into that trap that you want him closer, but the closer he gets, the quicker he'll see you and then take off. So when is the best time to fire the camera? On your first time out, my suggestion would be to start shooting when the animal comes in and can be clearly seen. When you can get a good focus on his eyes, start shooting. While this might be a bit premature for the first couple of times you go out, at least your setup work will yield some shots. Then the next time you go out, you can wait a little longer and let it get closer and closer. When it comes to exposure, the best scenario would be to test your location a day or two before. If you're shooting in the snow, remember to expose for the snow to be white rather than the gray that would normally register if you use just auto exposure setup. Either use the exposure compensation button to brighten the photograph when using auto exposure or simply switch to manual. Set your exposure and forget about it. As long as the light doesn't change, you should be good to go. As far as shutter speed, consider that this animal will likely freeze quite a few times when he first comes in. So you don't have to employ the super fast shutter speeds. This is unless you're looking to get shots of him running or pouncing on prey. In those instances, you would need a shutter speed at least of one four thousandth of a second or higher to capture that kind of movement. You will likely have a quick moment where you can photograph the coyote when he freezes to listen a little bit better or when he stopped and scanning for movement. Remember to use the rule of lens focal length and shutter speed. 
If you're shooting with a 200 millimeter, then make sure your shutter speed is above one two hundredth of a second. Keep in mind as you use longer lenses and longer focal lengths, be sure to increase the shutter speed to compensate for added magnification. Now we'll get to aperture in a moment, but let's not forget about your setup. Your best choice is to be on private property or on open space like BLM land, Bureau of Land Management land, since using animal calls are forbidden in state and national parks. It's considered harassing animals, so you don't want to take your callers out there. Now you can still shoot coyotes out there, but you, you can't be calling them in with one of those devices. You'll want to hunker down in a low spot and get comfortable since you might be there for a while. Make sure to bring layers of clothing since hiking to your spot may warm you up a bit, but sitting there waiting will probably cool you down. You want to be prepared. Bring something to sit on, a small chair or a pad of some sort. But before you go selecting your most comfortable chair, consider that you want to be low, as low to the ground that you can be comfortable with. In a perfect world, spread your tripod legs as far as you can and get the camera as low as you can that you can still operate it and the head. Getting low does two things. First, it makes you less visible and more likely not to be seen by the approaching coyote. Second, it will yield a better, more intimate shot. A good rule of any wildlife photography is to get as low as you can. It places the viewer down to the level of the wildlife and brings them into the shot. I like using a gimbal head on my tripod for this kind of work. The gimbal head I use is a Wimberley WH200 Wimberley head version two. This head screws onto the tripod where you would normally thread on your head, but the base has a tall arch connected to it. On this arch, a moving platform is attached and it's on this platform that you attach your lens foot of your telephoto lens. This head is not made for shorter lenses without a lens foot. Once you're attached, you can loosen the lock knob and gently slide the lens and camera back and forth until you get the whole rig balanced. Once it's balanced, you can move your camera in any direction, left, down, upright, and then you can find the perfect spot and just leave it. If your rig is balanced, it won't move. It'll stay right there. This is perfect for setting your sights on the area in the distance. Leave your camera right in that position. And then when you start to follow your wildlife, it's fluid and really easy to follow with the Wimberley gimbal head. I really can't imagine going back to a regular tripod head for shooting something like coyotes or any wildlife for that matter. I'll put links in the show note about this head, or you can go to my website and find out more, or just go to their website, www tripodhead.com and order your own head. Lastly, let's talk about f-stop or aperture. Normally I'd say the rule of thumb for shooting wildlife is almost always shoot it wide open and focus on the eyes. However, with an animal like this that has an elongated snout, I like to try to get somewhat wider depth of field. To experiment with this, let's go get our model and do some practicing. Most of us have easy access to the perfect model for learning how to photograph coyotes.
That's right. Man's best friend, our domesticated dog. That's the key to getting the practice that you need to photograph coyotes properly. The reason I recommend photographing dogs is that most of them have an elongated snout. I can, they, they move a little bit erratically and they're readily available to work with. So you can, if you don't have a dog, you usually have a neighbor or a friend who has a dog that you can take out, take out to a field like this. Now this field is one of these wide open dog park type fields where the dog can run around. So it doesn't have to be on a leash and you can let them run. And then when you want, you call them back towards the camera as if you were calling a coyote into you and you can practice shooting. So let's give that a try and see how that goes. Hey, T Tucker, Tucker, here, here, Tuck. Oh, nice. Come on, boy. Good boy. So yeah, this is, this is, <laughs> okay, go on, go back out there. All right, so, you know, you're, you're going to want to get your technique down before you go out. You want this thing to be perfect so that when you go out and before you set up shooting your, your coyotes, calling them in, getting your all set up, finding the spot, you want to make sure that your exposures are right. You want to make sure your autofocus is right, your ability to track the animals good. So that's why I really suggest doing some practice with your dog or a neighborhood dog so that you can get the feel for what it's like shooting one of these animals. So the worst thing you can do is go out, have all set up and find out that all your pictures are out of focus because you're focusing on the animal's tail, for instance. So get used to locking in focus onto the eye because that's going to be the important part. If you practice with a dog, the best subject would be a small German Shepherd as they're about the same size as a 40 pound coyote. But they also have a longer snout. So something like a, like a French bulldog isn't gonna work as good. You're gonna get the erratic behavior, but you're not gonna get the elongated snout that you're gonna to try to make sure you have covered in your depth of field on the animal's face as they get closer. So today I'm working with a beagle. My beagle name's Tucker. And uh, we're out here in this open field park and I'm just letting him run around. So at some point I'm gonna call him back to the camera and photograph him as he's coming back. And that's how I'm gonna keep getting these shots. He's gonna be moving. He might be going right to left. He might get distracted. These are all things that you can expect. So uh, it's fun to photograph him. And it's also fun to uh, to work on those types of things. So, all right. So as I shoot, I've got my camera on continuous focus. So as long as I hold my Auto focus button down the camera lens will keep adjusting to the to the focus and keeps the dog's eyes in focus which is what's important following the focus and tracking the animal that's what we're trying to do here Nikon refers to this function as continuous focus while the Canon brands refer to it as AI servo so just put it on that and uh, just keep that focus on as you're as the animals uh, moving to make this easy, I have my tripod set up, my gimbal head in place, and my 302.8 hooked up to my Nikon D5. I like to choose the Nikon D5 because of the faster frame rates, and so I'm gonna get more shots per second. I'm gonna have my wife call the dog while I track and photograph come him. Come here, Tucker. Tucker, come here, boy. Come here, come get a snack, come get a snack. My dog loves this. I'm getting great, I'm getting great practice photographing moving subjects and things that are like a coyote as we're shooting. My wife, on the other hand, isn't all that into it, but it, you know, two out of three is not bad. While I was out there shooting, I varied my f-stop. That way I could get the best depth of field for photographing coyotes. Here's what I discovered. 
I needed to stop down to about F7.1 or F8 to get enough depth of field to keep the eyes and the nose in focus on a full face shot. This aperture, of course, depends on how close my dog was. I would not likely be photographing a coyote near as close since they wouldn't let me and I'm not sure I want a wild coyote that close to me. As the animal was farther out, I could default to my standard wildlife setting of wide open, in this case, f2.8, as the depth of field was not an issue, and even if it was and I focused on the animal's eyes, I'd be fine. If you keep the eyes sharp, almost all else is forgiven. Since you're all set and ready to go, the last thing we need to talk about is the time of day you want to go. Most wild animals are active during the early morning and late afternoon. Most everybody knows that. And that's also true with the coyote. However, during late spring when the pups are in the den, the coyote will be out feeding much more often and many times during the, even in the middle of the day. Since this animal has adapted to the human world so well, they can be found in city parks or on sidewalks. So seeing one during daylight hours doesn't mean that the coyote is rabid or sick in some other way. It often means they're just out looking for food. If you see them in your urban world, give them a wide berth and enjoy watching them. As dog-like as they may appear, never approach one, never try to pet it or anything like that. Respect that it's a wild animal and one that's quite a challenge to get a good photograph of. Next time on the Nature Photography Podcast, we will be finding and photographing the most abundant amphibian in the western states of America, the Pacific Chorus Frog. This tiny frog is pretty easy to find, but not so easy to photograph. Join me, Terry Vanderheiden, as your host to learn everything we need to know about the Pacific Chorus Frog. Thanks again for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast, sponsored by ImageLight.com.